Every year, <clears throat> the Associated Press conducts a poll to determine the year's top stories. Can you guess what the top story for 2015 was? Oh, that, was, that would have been a good one. No. <laughs> that, that was a good guess. T guess again. Donald Trump, I thought, no, not it. That's, I thought he would be. The number one story was the rise of ISIS and the global efforts to crush them. That was number one. Second biggest story was on the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage. Number three was the Paris attacks. Several on the list were terrorist-related. Several on the list were related to mass shootings. That was the Associated Press. The Weather Channel had some interesting things. It said, in the last December, we had a record-breaking Christmas week because of its severe weather. It was the deadliest December for tornadoes in 62 years. Not to mention record flooding in part of the country. Also, this past year, you may remember this, according to one expert, the summer of 2015 was the perfect storm for shark attacks. Those of you who spent any time at the beach this past summer, you remember that. This year, the news reported of, about immigration, about refugees flooding over the borders. There were stories of political scandals, presidential elections, food poisoning, scares, we had it all. Just like the previous years. We have had nothing but unsettling and disturbing news and much of it is uh, being reported 24 seven. That prompts the question, how do we Americans cope with today's headlines? How are Americans dealing with the news and with life in the 21st century? Particularly, since this is a women's class, we want to ask the question, how are women dealing with it all? Well, the answer is not great. Apparently, we are very anxious. We are very anxious. One writer asks, are we in the midst of an anxiety epidemic? Stating that some are calling anxiety the disease of the 21st century. Researchers tell us that 40 million American adults, that's one in five, suffer from anxiety disorders. And we're not just talking about occasional anxiety, we're talking disorders. If you are a woman, you are more likely to suffer from this than your male counterparts. If you are a millennial or a generation Xer, you are more likely to suffer than your older counterparts. One writer put it this way, the United States has transformed into the planet's undisputed worry champion, end quote. We are the champions when it comes to worry and being anxious. And we can understand why. We have a lot to be anxious about. Nowadays, we worry about terrorism. We worry about mass shootings. We worry about the health and the safety issues that our children face. We worry about the decline, the moral decline in our country. We also worry about things like um, potty training and food allergies and bullying. On any given day, you may feel pulled in a dozen different directions. With that in mind, that caused one author to ask, are fear and anxiety 
our new normal. Are fear and anxiety our new normal? That's a good question to ask at the beginning of a year. Are fear and anxiety, are we just to realize that that's the normal way things are going to be? Is that what you should teach your children? Or should it be different for, children, for Christians? How are Christians, particularly how are Christian women supposed to function in the midst of an anxiety epidemic? How do we deal with it? Well, the short answer, the short quick answer is to know God, to know your God. No matter what epidemic we are dealing with, the answer is going to be the same. We need to know your God, know God. And that is um, going to bring me to the uh, topic of today's lesson. In the weeks to come, we are going to be studying the book Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney. And this study is really intended to be a continuation of what we started last semester. If you were with us last semester, we talked about holiness. And this semester, we kind of want to pick up where we left off. But to um, hopefully get us all on the same page, I want to start with a bit of review. So uh, if you have your papers, I have on there uh, a definition that we used when describing holiness. And that is number one in your paper. The most basic meaning of the word holy is to be set apart or dedicated to God, to belong to God. Now, again, if you were here last time, we talked about holiness. We, we talked about how God is holy. He is set apart. He is unique. He has no rival. And we, and we talked about that aspect. And we also talked about how it means to be set apart from something to something. And in this case, God sets apart the believer for himself. All right, we talked about that. Second thing we did is we talked about the secondary meaning. And we said that was number two on your paper. Holiness describes the purity and moral perfection of God's nature. All right, now that's usually the part of the definition that we are most familiar with. The idea of God's uh, righteousness and his purity. All right, that led us to talk about two aspects of holiness. We learned that number, this is A on your paper, we learned about positional holiness. All right, that's the holiness that is done for you. God chooses you and sets you apart unto himself. It is a complete work of God. All right, that's positional holiness. Then we learned about B, we talked about practical holiness. All right, practical holiness is something you do. Now, it is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it is a result of your positional holiness. Nonetheless, this is the part of the holiness that you do, okay? Now, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you need to use your table of contents or look on with the person beside you, that is cool. But look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. If you were here last time, this will be familiar to you. 12, 14 says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. All right, that word strive, you might want to underline it. It means to pursue. It means to do something with intense effort and with definite purpose 
or goal, okay? We are to strive with intense purpose for holiness, all right? And why is that? Well, because without it, no one will see the Lord. We can't see, we can't perceive, we can't know God without holiness. So if we are to know God, we must be striving for holiness. All right, now, last semester, we talked about the basics of holiness. This semester, we're going to zoom in and talk about the practicing of it. We want to zoom in and talk about the, um, the practical side of holiness and, um, and the striving part. We want to ask the question, okay, now that God has set me apart for holiness, what do I do? Is there something I do to strive for holiness? Is there a way for me to obey me, obey this? Is there something that I am to do? Now, our author would make the case that there is. He is going to write and make a, uh, make a case in the book that spiritual disciplines are a means for pursuing holiness. And with that in mind, let's start with a quick definition of what he means when he uses the term spiritual disciplines. Now, I have this on your paper. He says that spiritual disciplines are those practices and activities found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's how he's going to define it. Now, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 this is going to be this author's key verse for the book. He'll refer to it often. And as I read it, I want you to notice how similar it is to the passage that we just read in Hebrews. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. Train yourselves for godliness. I would underline that. Train yourselves because this is something you do. Okay, Paul is saying, hello, this is something you do. You are to train yourselves for godliness. Okay, now um, we are to train ourselves for godliness. That means this is not something you can farm out. This is not something that you can pay someone else to do. We have to do this ourselves. All right, now, one of the things that he does in the first chapter of the book is he goes through and he kind of takes apart the definition that he has given us for spiritual disciplines, and he breaks it down into six points that he makes, and we want to go over those quickly now, and then we're going to take a look at a place in Scripture where we see some of this lived out. So, number one, again on your paper, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. When we refer to spiritual disciplines, they are, number one, they're activities and actions. They're activities and actions. Spiritual disciplines are things that you do. All right, now that's opposed to your attitudes or your fruits or your graces. Okay, these are things that you do. And if you see that word, um, train, it is the Greek word gymnazo, from which we get the word gymnasium. Okay, so spiritual disciplines are exercises. Now, they're spiritual exercises, but they're spiritual exercises that we do. Let me give you some examples of some. Reading your Bible, praying, fasting, serving, sharing the gospel. These are, these are things that you do. 
okay? All right, number two, they're biblical. They're biblical. The ones that we will be going over in this book are, are spiritual disciplines that are um, mandated in Scripture or modeled in Scripture. And that's very important because the author points out that if you start looking outside of the Bible, then you end up um, calling just about anything you want a spiritual discipline. Perhaps you've heard people say things like, um, you know, jogging. That's, that's my spiritual discipline. Or golfing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's mine. Or I like to just get out on the beach with a cup of coffee, and that's my spiritual discipline. Okay, what happens is you just start making all your hobbies and pleasurable activities and calling them spiritual disciplines. Okay, um, we are going to focus on the ones that are from Scripture. Nine of the ten that we go over are going to be disciplines that we see Jesus practice. Now, there is one in the book that we are going to go get over that's a little more... Um, debatable than the others. The author will make a strong case that it is modeled in Scripture. He has some, some that disagree with him, but we'll talk about that one when we get to it. All right, here's our next point. Number three, they're sufficient. We do not have to look at the disciplines that the world offers because the, the Bible is sufficient for everything that we need. So all we need to do is go to the Bible to see uh, about our spiritual disciplines. Okay, the next one, number four, this is an important one. They're derived from the gospel, not divorced from the gospel. And this is a big one. Spiritual disciplines are intended to help us to understand the gospel. Okay, the gospel is the foundation for our spiritual disciplines. And this is so important that we get this one. And here's why. Because the minute we start talking about things that we do, it becomes very tempting to think that it's the things that we do that make us acceptable to God. We start thinking, we are so prone to think that it's our works that make us acceptable to God. And it's not. I want to give you an example. Let's say one month you... You have been faithful. You are faithfully reading the Word of God. You're studying the Word of God. You're getting up early to pray. You're going to service projects. You're going to church. And at the end of the month, you start thinking, wow, you know, this is, I've had a good month. I've been faithful. You know, God must be really pleased with me. Okay. Probably it's the opposite of what you also have. And this is also an example of one. Let's say you have a bad month and you haven't had your quiet times, and you haven't been faithful to read, and you haven't had the Bible study, and you have missed the service projects, and so you begin to feel very guilty, and you begin to feel very ashamed, and you start to think, wow, I, I can't pray. I haven't, I haven't kept my quiet times. I can't share the gospel with her. I can't confront my child about this. I've missed all my Bible studies. God must not be pleased with me. Okay, we need to be very, very clear about this, that your spiritual disciplines do not make you acceptable to God. Your devotional track record does not make you acceptable to God. We are made acceptable to God by the grace of God. We are made acceptable because God became man and took on the form of flesh. 
And he lived a perfect life and did everything perfectly. He was perfectly holy. He was perfectly righteous. And then he went to a cross and died and bled for our sin, for our idolatry, for our rebellion, for our wickedness. He became our sacrifice. And God looked upon that and his wrath was satisfied. So that Jesus Christ on the third day rose again. That is the basis for our acceptance before God. No, no, no amount of spiritual disciplines can ever satisfy the wrath of God. Only Jesus Christ and the work, his work on the cross. That is the basis of our acceptance. The gospel. And even the gospel is the basis of our spiritual disciplines because once we become believers, once we repent of our sin and believe on Jesus Christ to save us from our sin, then God puts his spirit in us and that enables us to be able to do spiritual disciplines. So, so the gospel is going to be the basis and the motivator of all of our spiritual disciplines. All right, number five. They are personal and interpersonal. Okay, well, here's what I mean by that. There are some that you do alone. There are some that you do with the body, which you do with other believers. Solitude, prayer, fasting, reading your Bible. Those are, those are things you're going to do by yourself. Then again, there's going to be those that you do with other believers. Serving, maybe evangelism, prayer, worship, those kind of things you do with the body. Now, usually what happens is you're kind of predisposed towards one. You prefer one to the other. Maybe it has to do with your personality. Maybe it has to do with your gifting. Um, but here's the thing. We need both. We need both. And so we'll talk about both and, and try to practice both. All right, number six, they're a means, not an ends. Spiritual disciplines are intended to be a means to godliness. They're to be a path to godliness. They're not ends in and of themselves. Now, the author gives a good example of this. He talks about uh, a pianist uh, learning the scales. All right, now, the goal is not to go out on concert and play the scales. Okay, the goal is to be able to use your skill to play beautiful and more difficult music. Okay, the scales are the means, not the ends. This, this reminded me of my son playing this on his sixth grade basketball team at his little Christian school. He was probably the most, most athletic on the team, and he was a very good dribbler. He would spend, you know, a lot of time practicing his skills. So on the first day of his game, we go out there, and he takes the, takes, goes to the court, and he starts to dribble. And he just dribbles, and he just dribbles his little heart away, and he's doing some fancy moves, and everybody's able to see, wow, he's a good dribbler. And, uh, you know, this went on. And, you know, after a while, you're going, okay, you know what? Just dribbling. That's, it ain't about the dribbling. <laughs> you know, somebody has got to shoot. Dribbling is not the ends. Dribbling is the means. Okay? Now, it's the same thing with us. You know what? We don't want to just be a bunch of good dribblers. Godliness, that's the goal. Godliness is the goal. Okay. Now, we have got ourselves a basic definition for what we're talking about when we're referring to spiritual disciplines. Now I want us to see where some of this is fleshed out. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. 
one of my very favorite stories, <clears throat> probably be familiar to you. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. <clears throat> now as, Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, uh, chances are you know this story. Uh, we have two women. Okay, first there is Martha, and she's the one that's doing all the talking in this passage, and it would seem like she's the one doing all the working. All right, now in verse 40, it says she was distracted with much serving. So she's serving. There's much serving going on here, but it says she's distracted. Now that word in the Greek means to be drawn away. It means to be pulled in many different directions. Okay, that's what she was. That's how she felt. Ever feel that way? Ever feel that you're pulled in a dozen different directions? Then Jesus says to her, you are anxious and troubled. Okay, that meant that she was inwardly, she's worried, inwardly troubled, inwardly anxious, and outwardly agitated and upset. So she's serving, she's being hospitable, but she's worried and she's distracted and she's anxious. That's Mary. What? No, that's Martha. What about her sister? Where is she? And what is she doing? Okay, let's look at her. Verse 39 says, And it says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, we want to notice how Mary is described. Okay? She's not described as being distracted. She's not described as being anxious and troubled. We're told that she is sitting at the feet of Jesus and not just sitting, but she is listening to his word. This upsets Martha. And so she takes her complaint to Jesus. Notice what he tells her. Verse 42, Martha, you're distracted. You're pulled in a dozen different directions. You're worried. You're anxious. But one thing is necessary. But... One thing is necessary. Well, what is it? What's the one thing? Is it, as some suggest, that he is saying that only one dish or one entree is necessary? Is he saying, listen, Mary, I appreciate the great buffet that you've put out here for everybody, but you've overdone it. Only one thing is really necessary. <laughs> or is he talking spiritually? Is he saying, Mary, only spiritually one thing is necessary, that you meet with me, that you sit at my feet, that you fellowship with me? Is that what he's talking about? Now, some will even suggest that it possibly could be a wordplay, that on one hand he is saying, Martha, only one food item is, would have been sufficient, but also only one spiritually thing is necessary. 
I like what Henry Blackaby has to say. Now, he wasn't writing about this particular passage, but I think you'll find it helpful. This is what he wrote. He said, knowing God does not come through a program or a method. It is a relationship with a person. A love relationship with God is more important than any other single factor in your life. What's the one necessary thing? What's the one single most important factor in your life? That you know God. That you know and that you love God. That your relationship with him can be described by you saying, I love you with all my heart. Now, what does this have to do with spiritual disciplines? I mean, didn't you just say knowing God is a relationship? That it's not methods and programs? And aren't spiritual disciplines really methods and programs? Listen, spiritual disciplines are those things that you do that are intended to put you at the feet of Jesus. They're the things that you do that are intended to put you at the feet of Jesus so that you can nurture that love relationship with him. Here's our next point. Number seven, spiritual disciplines are means to help put us at the feet of Jesus. One of my favorite discussions on the story of Mary and Martha comes from Jill Briscoe. She says that Mary took full advantage of Jesus being there. Think about it. She took full advantage of having the presence of Jesus in her home. She took full advantage of being able to hear the words of God. God was giving her the means to know Jesus better, and she took full advantage of them. Oh, ladies, do you know what my prayer is for, for, the, for all of you here? for all of us here, that we will be women that take full advantage of the means that God gives us to know him and to love him. Now, what happens? I have no doubt that Martha loved Jesus. But why isn't she sitting at the feet of Jesus? What happens? What keeps us from sitting at the feet of Jesus? Well, I I would suspect We get distracted, just like she does. We get busy. We get distracted. We have people that need us. So so what's the difference here? Are we to assume that Martha was the one with all the duties and responsibilities and Mary was not? Is that what's going on here? No. Verse 42, take a look at that. Jesus said, Mary has chosen Mary has chosen, underline it, Mary chose, Mary chose, Mary chose. Mary made a purposeful, intentional decision to sit at the feet of Jesus. She chose to take full advantage of Jesus being there. She chooses to walk away from the distractions and put herself in close proximity to Jesus. Now here's the deal. Your love relationship with Jesus is not going to grow accidentally. Okay, just as your, your marriage relationship doesn't grow accidentally. 
Now, I am not saying that you might not learn a thing or pick up a thing or two by accidentally bumping into it, because you can. But what I want us to see is the nature of the way that God works is our relationship grows and is nurtured as we strive for holiness, as we train for godliness the way God has determined. We must choose to exercise spiritually if we're ever to be holy. Now, here's the thing. Nobody ever goes to the gym accidentally three days a week to work out for an hour. That's not how it works. All right, here's our next point. Number eight, godliness does not happen accidentally. We must choose to train for it. Now, a little side note here, because one of the things the author does in this chapter is he lists the three primary catalysts for changing us and conforming us into Christ's likeness. And I want to briefly go over them. I have them in a box on your paper. The first one, A, is people. Maybe you have a mentor. Maybe your parents. Maybe you have siblings. Or maybe your enemies. God can use all of those to have an impact on your life that can conform you into his image. All right, here's the second thing, B, circumstances. Maybe you've had difficulties financially. Maybe you've suffered the loss. Maybe, of, maybe you've had a move. Maybe you've had bad health. Circumstances, they can impact you and affect and, and help you. They, God can use them to uh, impact you and conform you to his image. All right, the, the third one, C, is spiritual disciplines. Now, what I want you to see with the first two, God is primarily working from the outside in, okay? Also, first two, you, you don't always have a lot of choice about those first two. Now you get to the third one, spiritual disciplines. That is God working from the inside out. And this one, you have the greater measure of choice about doing this one. All right, now let's go back to Mary and Martha. I want you to see in verse 40, Martha's complaint. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? My sister has left me. All right, you see, Mary had been helping. Mary had been serving. She left the serving to sit at his feet. Now, we want to understand something. Mary was an ordinary woman with a life full of interruptions and distractions. But it says she chose the good portion. Some of your versions may say she chose the, the, the good, better part. You see, here's the deal. You are always going to have options. You're always going to have distractions. You're always going to have something pulling at you. You're going to have people to see. You're going to have a list of people to see and things to do, and it's always going to be like that. And you know why? Because that's the way things are on this side of the garden. All right? Now, and I don't want to depress any of you, but when I had little children, I used to think, okay, if I can just get the kids in school, Right, then, then I'll have my act together. Then I'll be caught up. Okay, and then I had to change that to, okay, when they just go off to college. All right, yeah, that, okay, that's when I'll, I'll get my act together, and that's when I'll be caught up. And, um, and I will say this. Th- there are things that get m- much improved. There are things that get better. I sleep through the night. Nobody interrupts my sleep. So, so that greatly improves. But here's the thing. The distractions don't stop. They just change. 
I, I, I am no further caught up today than I was back then. All right, but here's, here's our point. The very nature, the very nature of this is that you are going to have to leave and walk away from something in order to be involved in spiritual disciplines. That's just the nature of this. I read an interesting article. It was called, Multitasking is Not a Spiritual Discipline. That's a good one. One writer, her, uh, the, the name was Bridget Schult, put it this way. Women multitask a lot more than men. As a result, women tend to live in what researchers call contaminated time. Where we are, listen, we are never just in the moment. We are never just in the moment. Instead, we're either, we're always either reviewing something that happened in the past we're planning for something we need to do in the future. Let me give you an example. You're having a discussion with your child. And at the same time, you are mentally going through the items in your refrigerator, trying to decide what you're going to make for dinner, all the while diapering a baby. That's, that's what you do. You multitask. By the way, men do not do that. Men do not do that. We're multitasking. But listen, that's contaminated time. And do you know what Jesus would say to you? Jesus would say to you, come be in the moment with me. Walk away from the chaos and the distractions and sit at my feet. Here's our next point. Number nine. There will always be activities, good and bad, that we will have to leave in order to spiritually exercise. Now, I'm going to assume that this is not news to you. I'm going to assume that you want to get alone with God. So, and that you want to be more disciplined. Okay, so how do we learn to deal with all the competing obligations and responsibilities? I'm guessing that some of you are at a place in your life where you don't have a thought without it being interrupted several times. Many of you are probably having to use the restroom with a small entourage. <laughs> okay, so, so how, how do you compete? How do you compete and deal with all the distractions? Well, I want you to see verse 39. Verse 39, it says, she sat at the Lord's feet. Now that tells us something. Because you see, that was the traditional place of a disciple. A dis the teacher would sit down, the disciple would sit at his feet. That disciple was in close proximity with the teacher. But you see, it was also a posture and a position of humility and, and, and submission Okay, so you were outwardly showing that you were in submission to the teacher. Beth Moore tells an interesting story <clears throat> when she writes about this passage. She explains that she would um, often, she would go to conferences and she would find that the leadership team never actually came in and sat down for the lesson. They were always busy. They always had things that they had to tend to. They were always kind of running around. And so one day she goes to a conference and the entire leadership team, they come in, they sit down, they not only observe the session, they fully participated. And she found that very unusual. So she said to them afterwards, how, how did you manage that? And their answer to her was, oh, we, we planned for it. We planned, we, pre we prepared, we made decisions, we took care of things beforehand so that we could be in and sit in 
the meetings. All right, now listen, this is a very similar thing for us here, especially if you're a young mom, a busy young mom. <clears throat> if we're going to be involved in pursuing spiritual disciplines, it's going to require something very similar. <clears throat> it's going to require some preparation and some pre-planning and some foresight and some in in very intentional choosing. But here's the key. We do it as humble, submissive disciples. We go to the Father and we say, this is my crazy mom's schedule. I don't sleep. I'm surrounded with children. Can you show me how I am to do this? What do I change? What do I stop? What do I start? I um, <clears throat> have shared this story before. I can remember a time in my life that I was complaining to God because I was sensing he was asking me to do something and I didn't have the time. And so I began to pray, actually challenge. I was saying, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't sleep. I'm, it's, my life's crazy. Well, where? Where am I going to find the time to do this? Where am I going to find the time to do this? And just boom, right there, three to four, three to four. Three to four, every day, I watched General Hospital. <laughs> I would, the baby was sleeping, and I would come out, and I'd turn on the TV, and start General Hospital. But I always had my laundry. I would sit at my ironing board because, you know, I was doing laundry. Now I was doing it, you know, in slow motion. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Uh, my point is, if we submit ourselves and our calendars and our schedules and we are a submissive, humble disciple, he will show us. He will show us what we need to do and what changes need to be made. And I want to explain something. That this may look very different from person to person. How you spiritually exercise may not look like someone else in your small group. And it may change from season to season in your life. And you know, that's okay. The important thing is that we remain humble and submissive with our teacher, with our disciple, with our master. Excuse me, we're the disciple. Okay, I want to read to you something. Um, the author, he writes in a different book about a godly missionary friend of his. Her name is Jean Fleming. She was saved as a teenager and was very disciplined from the start. He said she was reading, she was studying, she was memorizing, she was journaling, she was doing it all, and she was growing in her faith. Then she got married to a husband that was equally dedicated. Then they have children. And she has three babies in diapers. And she found that her time and her energy level were severely limited. Now, she's a grandmother now, but here's what she says to young women. She says, at this time in your life, you can't do what you're used to doing. You don't have time for all your heart desires to experience in your spiritual life. Nevertheless, do what you can do, even though it's precious little. Just don't deceive yourself by thinking that you can put off a devotional life until you have more time. Because when the years roll around and you finally do have more time, your spiritual habits will be so ingrained that you won't give any more attention to your devotional life at all. 
Now, the author goes on to say that Jean would keep Bibles open in several rooms in her house. She'd have one in the kitchen. She'd have one in the nursery. She'd have one in the bathroom. And as she went around her day, she would just grab a little piece whenever she could. Maybe she was warming a bottle or changing a diaper. And sometimes it was just a verse at a time. But this is what the um, author uh, observed. He said, This discipline helped her keep the word in her heart and the presence of God in her awareness. And as the children's needs grew less demanding, her, her disciplines were already in place to receive any additional time she could give them. All right, here's our next point. Number 10. We must be submissive disciples with our calendars and routines and do what we can do, even if it's precious little. That brings us to one more thing that we want to see. Jesus wanted Mary at his feet. Jesus wanted Martha at his feet. And do you know what? God wants you at his feet. The God of the universe wants to meet with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. Now, Mary seemed to understand that. As we keep reading about her in the book of John, that becomes more clear. But I want us to see in this passage, there's nothing in this passage that would suggest to us that Mary thought of her time at Jesus' feet as burdensome, as duty. She enjoyed being at his feet because she loved him. All right, now, here's what I want us to see. Our next point, number 11. There is an invitation to all Christians to enjoy God and the things of God through the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are means to enjoy God. Okay? Now, I want to close with an article. I read an article in a popular Christian magazine. It was entitled, The Problem with Quiet Times. The byline read this, As a mother of three small children, when I stopped having disciplined, set-apart time with God, my faith grew. Okay, and that was the gist of the story. Okay, she um, shared how she grew up having quiet times, and then she had children. And what was once a life-giving habit became a task. It became burdensome. And then it became an area of failure. She explained that she was always tired. She was a bit angry at God about some things in her life. And that her children did not believe in a quiet time. They believed in noise and interruptions. And so she writes this. So I abandoned the idea of a daily set-aside, sit-by-myself quiet time. My faith grew. The problem with quiet times as I knew them was that they made no room for my ordinary life as a parent. They made no room for my children. She goes on in the article to explain that some days she picks up her Bible. Some days she reads the kids a Bible story instead. Some days they don't speak of God at all. She says some days the kids interrupt and she puts the Bible aside and she snuggles with them and reads a picture book on the couch. She is very careful in this article to explain that she is choosing, now that she's a mother of three, that she is choosing to be spontaneous 
and, and casual and haphazard about her spiritual disciplines instead of being intentional. And all throughout the story and article over and over again, she repeatedly assures the readers that her faith is growing. My faith grew. My faith grew. Over and over again, she says that. Okay, now listen to me, ladies. If that is true, she'd be the exception. She'd be the exception. Because everything she says is counter. It is counter to what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God says we are to strive for holiness. We're to train for godliness. And for us to expect to grow in our faith apart any other means is presumptuous. It's presumptuous. I wanted to take the hands of that writer and I wanted to say, oh, dear sister, oh, dear sister, Mary was an ordinary woman with a life filled with interruptions. And yes, yes, there is a time to let a child interrupt. Absolutely. There is a time to drop everything you're doing and take that child in your hand and sit, and sit together on a couch, for sure. But there is a time to tell that child, no. You must read your book quietly because mommy is reading her Bible. Mommy gets to read the words of the living God. Mommy gets to pray to a God that hears our prayers. Listen, you want to leave your children an inheritance? Show them what spiritual discipline looks like. Here's our last point. To expect godliness apart from striving and training is to presume upon God. Let's pray. Father, we want to start by just thanking you that your spirit in us makes this possible. Father, we praise you for grace. We praise you for giving us a way to be saved from our sin. My prayer now is that these women can, can leave here and, and just take full advantage full advantage of your spirit in them, full advantage of the means that you give them, and that they, Father, that they will delight, that they will delight in knowing you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.